All right, if you will, please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 22. And if you're visiting with us, there are sermon notes in the bulletin. We started last Sunday a study of end times. We're starting a, a study of end times, and we're in Revelation, chapter 22. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Chapter 22 is the last chapter in the Bible. And verses 6 to 21 is going to be the emphasis for the next few weeks as we talk about end times. I don't know how long this study is going to last. I thought it was originally going to just be a couple weeks, but it may go longer because of the opportunity to get into some really interesting subjects. And the response I got last week was very encouraging. I know that end times is fun to study. It's exciting because it does deal with future matters. But I'm hoping that we, that we also have it impact our lives and it's just not an academic study. Uh, as I stated last week, we're going to be focusing on verses 6 to 21 of Revelation 22. But as you'll even start to see today, we're going to start talking about some of the other subject matters like the rapture, the tribulation, the millennial kingdom. Those passages are going to be looked at, but we're not going to go into depth. If you have other questions, come and see me about those. But you'll see as we, we move through this. Um, we're, we're going to be, though, be trying to understand where does the Bible end as it talks about end times. And so look at chapter 22, verse 6. We just once you get familiar with these passages. So verse 6 says, And he said to me, and the he in this passage is an angel. Remember, there are three main characters that talk from the end of the, 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 end of the book of Revelation. It's an angel, it's John, and Jesus. And here in verse 6, it's the angel. And it says, And he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angels to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. You should underline the word soon, okay? And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. The idea of I'm coming quickly is I'm coming soon, all right? Verse 8, I, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Verse 9, but he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren and, of, and of your brethren the prophets and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy, and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I believe that's Jesus talking. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral, immoral, immoral persons and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Verse 16, can't get clearer than this. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. 
I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord be with all. Amen. And if you have your sermon notes in, in front of you, you see it on the sheet. I said the theme here is the final word, which it is about end times. And there are three parties talking, the angel, John, and Jesus. But the three truths are the three truths that I'm going to continue just to weave through my message. And that is truth number one, the message is genuine. These are words that are faithful and true. You can count on them. You can trust on them. Second truth, the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming soon. We're going to talk more about the concept of being imminent, being soon in, um, in a moment here. Third, be warned. You must be ready. You must be ready. Now, I am fully aware, and I alluded to this last week, that there are different views on end times. And and, and sometimes people will say, the book of end times is so confusing. All these different religious groups, all these different um, pastors, teachers, they have different views on end times. And, and, and I get that. And it's something that when I became a new believer, I struggled so much. Like, why do these people have different views? And I, I'm going to hit this really hard over the next two, three weeks. And I alluded to it last week. And I went and I got this book. This is one of the best books on trying to discern why do different religious groups have different views. And it's called Four Views of the Book of Revelation. I spent a couple hours yesterday putting together a slideshow detailing much of the information that's in here. And I thought, well, I'm going to show it this morning. And then I went back and forth and I said, you know what? I want to plan for it more in detail next week. So a little, little plug here. Got to come back next week. <laughs> All right. But what I want you to do is understand there are four major views. And so hopefully you'll, you'll hear the word this week and you'll, some of these words, and then you'll see them when I put them up on the slideshow next week. But the four major views deal with a view called the preterist, the idealist, progressive dispensationalist, and then the classic dispensationalist. Now, those are big words. Maybe you've never heard of them. And my wife is like smiling. Listen, uh, that, uh, the, the view, the, listen to this. The view called the preterist comes from a Latin word, and you'll hear this next week. It, something, it means like something that's already happened, okay? They give it a technical name. Preterist view is held primarily by people that believe the book of Revelation has already occurred. It is held, it's the primary view, and that some of you have come from a Catholic background. You may talk to a person who's Catholic and they never talk about the return of Christ. It's because the preterist view, it's already happened, believes that the book of Revelation has nothing to do with the coming of Jesus. It has the fact that Jesus has come in the church and he's already here, okay? And that everything that the book of Revelation deals with deals with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD and eventually the fall of Rome in the 5th century, okay? The idealist view is a view that many of you might know some people from the Reformed Church. When people from the Reformed Church, like William Hendrickson, famous writer, writes, he writes about the idealist view, that the idealist view is that, is that the book of Revelation is, a, is something that has nothing really to do with reality. It's all symbolic. It's all just a battle of good and evil. And, 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 and that everything in there is is just things that we can see throughout history that would be representative of the seal, trumpet, and bull judgments. 
really, really doesn't even have that much to do with the return of Jesus Christ. That's why when you talk to somebody, maybe who comes from a Reformed background, they don't talk about the urgency of Jesus that much. The progressive dispensationalist view is a view that talks about, well, some of it's already occurred and some of it's yet to occur. And, and it deals with sort of like blending the two views together. This has been propagated by a lot of people who come from Dallas Seminary and then eventually left Dallas. Many evangelicals are jumping onto this. The fourth view, classic dispensationalism. Dispensationalist is the idea that God works through different time periods. Classic is because it's been something that's been around for some time, and that's, that's, I know that's debatable. I brought the book today because I wanted you to understand, and this is what we'll hit next week, and I'll show you even more details so it just gets to be a part of you, and so that you feel comfortable, so you understand, is that the key reason that the views differ is because of what's called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the reading principles that we use. When we use, when we study the Bible, we believe here at Christian Fellowship Church, we use what's called the grammatical historical approach. How about, again, not using another big word, Mike. Grammatical historical just means normal reading principles. Grammar Grammatical, historical. We use grammar, and then we realize that everything's somehow rooted in a historical event. It's rooted in reality. Some, of, some people, when they interpret the Bible, think that you, can, you, you should use what's called allegorical or symbolic. And so, like on page 99, the idealist, the idealist, the person that believes everything in the book of Revelation is a symbol says that says just that let me come to this page in verse 99 the author is saying um, the very preface informs us the revelation contains of mixtures of literary styles it is predominantly apocalyptic by according to verse one and prophetic verse three and epistolatory meaning it's just a normal letter evidenced by the traditional standards of um, bookends of salutation and benediction as apocalyptic book um, the symbols employed in the various vision are tools for the communication of precepts. Now, again, that sounds technical, but just flip over. Let me just put it in layman terms. Turn to Revelation 1.1. Turn to Revelation 1.1. And what the author is basically saying, what the author is basically saying is, you see when you turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, stop right there. You say, wait a minute, what do you mean stop right there? Right there, it means it's apocalyptic. You can't take it to mean that when he talks about, he talk, when we talk about like um, 1,000 years, that 1,000 means 1,000 because it's all symbolic. And you scratch your head and you say, well, why in the world would you ever think that way? And this is really fascinating for me because I, I deal with, I have a friend that's very much Catholic, and he's read the, he, he is, he's read the Left Behind series, which deals with end times and from a class, somewhat classical dispensational view. And I just think it's fascinating because if I were to ask him, do you think the book of Revelation deals with end times and future events? I think he'd say absolutely yes. I don't think that he would know, even know that his church historically has said the book of Revelation's already occurred. And the reason I say that is, is because as laymen, 
and, and, and as an ordinary person, when we read the Bible, we just use normal reading principles. And I would never have thought in, 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 the, in the farthest reaches of mind, when I came to verse 1, that I would have said, oh, the book of Revelation means now I have to start reading it using different principles. And, and that's why I want you to be really grounded and don't feel like, wow, I am, I, I am I, I, I'm at a loss and I can't stand to, uh, any, to, to these people who have these other views. And there are really smart people, like William Hendrickson from the Reformed tradition, who all just, you just come to the book of Revelation and says, we're just going to read it in a totally different way. And you scratch your head and you say, how could you justify this? Why would you justify this? Now, I'm going to tell you this. Not only do they use different hermeneutical principles, but I do, truly do believe some of the reasons some of these people have different views is because I don't think they're saved. Because I think the Holy Spirit makes you understand, wow, I'm just going to read this book and I'm going to understand it. So that when he talks about 42 months, the number 42 means 42. When it talks, I got to get the number right. When it talks about 200 million demons, someone says, you can't say that's 200 million. I say, well, yeah, I can. Why can't it mean 200 million? I just don't understand why people would do that, except maybe they're not saved. And I do throw that out there. But I do think there are some people who are saved that take these different views. So we'll get more into that again. But your understanding, four major views. Preterist, it happened already. Idealist, this is just spiritual. Everything is already spiritual. Progressive dispensationalist, some of it's already happened and it's repeating in history, and then it's going to happen finally, and then the view that we have here, the view that we have here, classical dispensationalists, it's future. From chapter four on, it's a future event. So understand that's the the background that I'm taking it, and go back to Revelation 22, verse six, and I just want you to, um, I just want you to understand that as I went through this book, Dr. Thomas, Dr. Robert L. Thomas, who was one of my professors, ironically, he talks about the fact that we, the, the key is just to use the grammatical historical reading approach. If anybody wants to see that book, when we're done with the study, I'll let you borrow it, okay? Um, chapter 22, verse 6, if you're filling in your notes, we said that we only got to the last, we only got to the, to the, um, not the last, but we only got through verse 6, where the angel speaks. And verse 6 was, he, he said these things are going to happen, and so the fill in the blank was, this is really going to happen. So just as a recap, look at verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The he is an angel, one of the seven angels from verse 9 of chapter 21, one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now, if, you're, if you weren't with us, understand that as we come to verse 9 of chapter 21, everything is done. History is over as we know it. Eternity is about to begin, and this angel comes and begins to describe the foundation of what eternity looks like and goes into the river and the tree of life and, and describes all of these events. And then when it comes to verse 6, we're done describing, and it's more now this appeal. Hey, this message is genuine. Jesus is really coming again. Be warned. You better be ready. Now, keep in mind, I'm going to...
try and get into talking about angels today here in a second. Um, but the idea is these words are faithful and true. The God of the spirits sent his angels to show his bondservants, people who serve him, what must soon take place. So fill in the blank now as we come to verse um, 7. It is going to happen soon, quickly. Fill in the word with the word soon. Jesus, it is believed, is the one speaking. And he says, behold, I am coming quickly. I am coming soon. And there becomes the big question, like, wait a second. Maybe the preterist view is right, because maybe this did happen in the first century. Maybe it's already occurred, which... It, it, which doesn't, uh, doesn't also make sense because the book of Revelation was in 90, written in 90 AD and the destruction of Jerusalem was in 70 AD, which doesn't fit even the timeline. I don't know, you know and they do try to talk around that too. But, but here's the question. How do we deal with this? How do we deal with the reality that it's been 2,000 years and, and if you're going to use normal reading principles, Mike, you're going to tell me the word soon can mean 2,000 years, and I'm going to tell you I'm stuck with this. And, and I'm going to only be able to tell you that theologians look at the, the reality of this principle. Remember, if the literal make, makes sense, seek no other sense. And, and, and the idea of soon does mean quickly, fast times you know if i told you i was coming to your house i'm coming soon and it's been two thousand years i think you'd get a little upset with me so how do you look at this how do we justify this well the reality of this is why i alluded to it last week is the is that most people look at prophecy as when god talks about something coming near something coming quick that have to look at it it is soon from the idea of eternity and, and the reason I get that is not just for sake of time, you know, Joel chapter 2, Old Testament book, talks about the day of the Lord, talks about the day of the Lord being near. Well, that was 3,000 years ago. And, you know, some people try to talk about that, well, there was a near and a far day part of the Lord. Maybe there is an aspect of, of how judgment did come in Joel's day and, and stuff like that. Uh, like that, but the reality of it is, as I believe, as when we look at passages where it says a day and a thousand years are the same to the Lord, from the, from Peter's book, I think it's Second Peter, and, and the idea is is that we have to recognize God's timing is different, and, and so that is that's the best answer I can give you. It is soon. It means quickly. It does mean literally something that is quick, something that happens fast, but in light of eternity. So using the same illustration I gave you last week, if we're in heaven for a billion years, and if Jesus Christ came back today, we would look back and say, wow, a billion years have gone by, but it was only 2,000 years in light of your return. That was pretty quick. That is the best answer I can give you. So I do look at it as a literal coming quickly. But look at, so understand that is, that's dealing with the idea of, of, of him coming. And sometimes then it turns into the idea of us talking about what the concept of imminency. Imminency means, you know, that he can come at any moment. And, and this is where we, we, we struggle sometimes. And we say, well, wait a second. If he's coming quickly, how do we fit this in with the fact that, that he's just 
had this book written that's talked about all the different judgments, the seal, the trumpet, and the bowl judgments. And, and think about the reality of the fact that I, I just read a passage in Matthew 24 for our scripture reading. And in Matthew 24, it talked about be ready for the Lord. But wait a second. If you went back to chapter 24, verse 3, and you started reading all through the, you know, all the events that have to take place, someone might say, wait, shouldn't you have to look for all those events and then the Lord returns? And I say, absolutely, absolutely. So I think when we look at the reality of the perusa, the technical term, the coming of the Lord, I do recognize that there is a reality that many of the passages about Jesus coming again talk about after all the events take place, events that some of us will be able to see. Well, then, wait a second. What about the idea then of being ready? I think he's telling us to be ready if you have to live through some of those events. But at the same time, there is this thing called the rapture. And if you're unfamiliar with it, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is what I want us to read today. I want you to understand that in light of the fact that, that many of the passages talk about the, the, the return of Jesus Christ, and, you, and, and sometimes people will twist it, and they'll talk about you know, the imminency, imminency, be ready for the Lord, without recognizing the be ready for the Lord, the passages that we read in Matthew 24 are in light of all the events happen, happening first. So I believe there's are, those, are, those are sequences that have to come before Jesus returns. But there is still the sense where we believe as, as Christians in the church that God could come for us at any moment. And that comes from the doctrine of the rapture. It's in three key passages, the rapture. First one here is in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. The apostle Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica. They're dealing with people who have died. And he says this, other believers who have died. Verse 13, but we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be cut up, raptured, seized. That's where the doctrine of the rapture comes from. It comes from that word, that expression. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The concept of the rapture is, is non-debatable, really. The timing is debatable. So the idea that there's going to be a moment when the church is taken up in the air is something I wholeheartedly believe. Let me just give you one other passage, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of the fact that it's a mystery, Okay. And, and when I talk about mystery, it's something that was not known before. Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, the great passage on the resurrection, the Apostle, Paul, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 50. After he's talked about the resurrection and all the ramifications, as he's wrapping up his argument, 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, chapter 15, verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But I tell you a mystery. 
We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. That's the idea of the rapture. This isn't the fact that you're going to die and, and then be resurrected. This is the fact that people are going to be changed instantaneously in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Now, that last trumpet doesn't mean have to be the last trumpet of judgments, okay? So we're not going to go in that. But the idea of a rapture is a non-negotiable concept. Here's the kicker. Here's the little hint. He says it's a mystery. It was something that wasn't known before in the Old Testament, like the church was a mystery. And now we're dealing with this thing called the rapture, this, this transformation that occurs, and it's a mystery. Part of, part of how I can also fit this in as happening before the final, the end of all things, when Jesus comes on the white horse, is because look at verse 50. He says, I, and this is often missed, I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Well, the kingdom of God, you've got to have a very good understanding. It's, it's a time when God is going to rule and reign through Israel, and we believe it's through what's called the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign, and goes on into eternity. This is very critical because we believe Israel is separate from the church here. We believe Israel still has a future, Romans chapter 11. And, and the idea here of flesh and blood, meaning people like you and me, like people in flesh and blood, it's very clear, can't inherit the kingdom. Well, if you know passages about the kingdom, you say, wait a second, time out. Time out, because people die in the kingdom. People are in the kingdom based on Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66. People are in the kingdom who die. Without turning there, if, if, you're, if, if somebody dies at the age of 100, it says in Isaiah, and they die at the age of 100, they're thought to be accursed. Well, how could somebody die if, if they're just in a glorified body? They're, it's because there are people in the kingdom who are not in glorified bodies. They are dying. Again, Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66. It's believed that verse 50 has to be clear to the church. People in the church, church age people, will be people who will be transformed. We will be the people who will be raptured before the tribulation starts, will be in our glorified bodies, will come down to all the people that are saved that live through the tribulation. Those people go into the, tribu go into the millennial kingdom in their, in their natural bodies and then have babies that have natural bodies and at the end of the end of the tribulation um end of the millennium when they rebel with satan they'll be in natural bodies and then they will be killed for their judgment okay so that is part and parcel of why we believe the rapture occurs beforehand so please understand this and, and, and there is this event called the rapture, and it, and it is an event that is coming. Now, I'm going to bring a chart. I, I realize for time's sake, I'm going to bring a chart. We're going to look at two or three other reasons. You can keep this in the back of your mind, John 14, as well as what's called the gap theory. But in, <laughs> what you need to understand is Jesus is coming again. I do believe he's coming for the church beforehand. And, and when he comes... One other passage, go back to Revelation 19. Revelation 19 is that Jesus Christ is coming back to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay? Uh, well, he's coming, excuse me, he's coming after the marriage supper. 
Let us rejoice, verse 7 says of Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the, is the righteous acts of the saints. Revelation 19, verse 9. Then he said, Right blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These words are, faith, are, are, tr- are true words of God. And then, in, jumping down to verse 11, Then I saw heaven open up, and, blo- and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and, the righteous, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. The marriage supper happens up in heaven. The marriage supper happens, and I believe it is the perfect picture of what God has been, been, been explaining to us through his, the relationship of the bride, the church being called the bride, and the fact that the church is married to Jesus Christ, and that that marriage follows the Jewish system. And the Jewish system was this, which we just saw in Christmas with the betrothal of, of Joseph to Mary. There's this engagement period and, and when you come to the end of the engagement period, all right, there was a one-week ceremony, a one-week ceremony. John chapter 14, remember, it's the great passage. Jesus says, um, believe in God, believe in me, in my Father's house are many mansions, many rooms, literally. We all love to think that we're gonna, it's like the lotto, we won the lotto, we get a big house. But it's, there are many rooms, in the Jewish wedding, what would happen is the, gr- the groom would go and get the bride and bring her back to his father's house for a one-week final test, final celebration. It's ironic that the tribulation and the time period is called a week. And so it fits that the church of Jesus Christ has been raptured beforehand, before the tribulation starts, so that we are going through that hour of testing that we're being escaping that hour of testing, Revelation 3.10, and that we consummate the marriage at the end of our relationship with Jesus Christ, at the end of the tribulation period, and then the church comes back with Jesus with the second coming, okay? And like I said, I hope that's not too complicated, but what is so clear is that, is to me, is that the church doesn't go through the tribulation. Not just because we're looking for imminency and return of Christ, but more so because we've been promised that we don't go through wrath. And, and there's this thing called a mystery thing, a, 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 a rapture, a transformation that will be changed in a moment, in a second. So understand, I believe when Jesus says he's coming back, I don't think it's, I don't want, think it's that confusing to think that he could come for the church before the tribulation and then come for the final consummation of the ages. So turn to Revelation 21, verse 7 again, and understand, I truly believe that when Jesus says, I am coming quickly, I do have to look at it in light of all of the events. And I, and I can't just think of imminency as in the moment and a second that I'm going to be taken away in a moment, okay, because of him saying quickly. But I think I could be t- t- telling you I could be taken away at any moment because of other passages that talk about a mystery thing called a, a rapture and promises to be not ta- going through, not going through tribulation. So he says, behold, I'm coming quickly. And here again, blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, I'm going to quickly do this. I'm going to take six minutes. 
Verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and I saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. Who's speaking now? The angel. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. The angel is the one speaking. The angel is the one that has been talking, and, and the angels have been used throughout the entire book of Revelation. They are holy, and I love the fact that when John sees an angel, and it happens before in this book, he wants to worship it because the angels are holy. They are without sin, and it just blows my mind, and I think to myself, what is it like to see God if I look at an angel and the angel is holy, Okay. One of my goals in teaching you this, going through end times, is to get you ready for Jesus Christ standing before him, being ready. And I want you to live in a spiritual dynamic, being aware that, that we are living in a world that is tied to the spiritual. And, and, and that you have to be thinking about this, as that there are angels and there are demons. And... and just taking a side note here, angels are spoken of in the Bible, and I want you to be thinking about the reality that God has given you, one, a guardian angel, and that, two, you need to be aware that angels are interacting with us today. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 91, okay? And I'm hoping that, that as... As you're turning to Psalm 91, I'm, you can just jot down a passage that talks about the spiritual battle we're in and putting on the armor of God, Ephesians 6, where it talks about the fact that we, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of the air. Those are fallen angels. Those are demons. And then John, in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, when Daniel has a prayer, an angel comes to him and says, I couldn't get to you quick enough, but I, it, I took some time. But in essence, your prayer got me here, or in essence, within three weeks. I'm thinking to myself, wow, how we pray impacts the work that angels do. That's Daniel chapter 10. So Psalm 91, Psalm 91, sometimes you hear about people talking about guardian angels. Where does this come from? Ultimately, Jesus had the best guardian angel because Jesus uses this. Um, but verse 11 Verse 11, picking up in verse 10, no evil will befall you. This is for righteous people, godly people, people who have come to, I believe now, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. No evil will befall you, nor plague will come near you. Verse 11, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Obviously, Jesus gets all, the ultimate guardian angel. He's the one that's protected. This is used in his test in his um trial with satan matthew chapter 4 but the idea here this is where we get the idea that angels spiritual beings are given to protect us now turn to hebrews 13 hebrews 13 and understand you say well you know that's jesus that's angels and yeah, they appeared to John, and they were used for writing the book of Revelation. They were used for writing many Old Testament books. But I don't really have to deal with angels today. But look at, as the author of the book of Hebrews is coming to the end of his book, he says this, verse 1, Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Okay, he could have just stopped it right there. But then he adds, 
For by, some, by this, some have entertained who? Angels without knowing it. What do you mean, angels without knowing it? Well, angels are interacting amongst us today. They are around. They are interacting. And he wants the people to have that mindset. How you treat strangers, how you impact people. Sometimes these angels are put into your life for a test. And, and, and I believe very much so that if you have this mindset, it may help some of you think more about end times and the return and the reality of God and might force you to pray more, realizing that the, the armor of God, putting on the breastplate, taking up the shield of faith, going to work in prayer, does impact the angels. It does. These are real beings. We're in a real battle. This is a real reality. And God wants us to be aware that angels do exist. And, and, and so, you know, I can't... I can't always say, well, this was an angel or that was an angel and, and, and how we deal with them today. I've had some situations in my life where people have told me of, of accounts of things that have happened to them that have just been downright strange. And I'm not so much going to, to story theology, but the reality of it is, is we know things happen that there's not going to be an explanation until we get to heaven. I've had Two things I wanted to relate to you. Things that just might get you thinking that, yeah, these things do happen. It happened to me. Um, the first one, and I'll tell you about the second one, happened to a good friend of mine, and then we'll close and I'll get you out of here. Number one, it was 1993, 94. Becky and I are coming home from church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're driving down a street that heads, I think it heads south. I can't remember. Yeah, it heads south. We're on, I think it's called A Street. And we're heading down A Street. It's a three-lane street. And, and it's, it's about 8 o'clock at night. We went to evening church. And so we're heading south, and I'm driving. This is me driving. <laughs> and I'm about to turn left to go into uh, another main street. That It's a one-way street. It's three, four lanes across. And I've been driving for 40 years. I'm 50, what, four? can't remember. Yeah, I'm 54 years old. been driving since I was 16. I've never had this happen before. Never have this happened since. I'm driving. It's late at night. It's 8 o'clock at 8, 8.30. I'm driving home from church, and I'm turning left. And as I'm turning left, I'm talking to Becky, and all of a sudden I yell, whoa! And literally, the car drives by itself, and instead of turning into this lane, the, the wheel literally comes out of my hand, and I watch the wheel turn, and I drive into this lane. Do you follow? So instead of going into the middle lane, I drive into the first lane. I look at Becky, I'm like, what has happened? I grab hold of the wheel, and then all of a sudden I look up. And if I would have turned into this lane, I would have killed somebody. They were illegally crossing the road, and I had no idea. I literally felt like someone took over the wheel. How can I explain it? I can't. I, 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 like I said, I've been driving my entire life. That's never happened. Did an angel come in? See, I can't say for certain, but I like to think so. I'd like to think so. A good friend of mine, his, my friend Tim, Tim is out in Colorado. They go to a real good, solid Bible-believing church. His son, Kobe, two years ago, went to Yosemite with the college group, the college youth group, high school group, high school group. He went out camping, and they went out hiking. And Tim, Tim, um, Tim told me when Kobe came back, his legs were all scratched up. And he's, Kobe, he goes, Kobe, what happened? Kobe said, well, Dad, you know, there's those, 
rocks that are really dangerous over there by in Yosemite. He goes, Dad, um, kind of slipped over there, kind of fell, mangled up my leg. Tim says, okay, Kobe, that, you know, I'm glad you're safe. Everything's fine. You know, got better. Four or five months later, Tim was doing a devotions with, his, with Kobe and his other son late at night, and they were talking about God and the reality of God being around us. And, and after they were going to bed, guys, they started to go to bed, Kobe goes, Dad, can I talk to you? And, and he says, he goes, what, what is it, son? He goes, I got to tell you. I got to tell you, Dad. I, I, I've been holding this in. I, I couldn't tell you before because I just still can't explain it. He said, Dad, remember when I went camping at Yosemite? He said, he said, when I went camping at Yosemite, I didn't tell you the whole story. I fell down those cliffs, and there, Dad, there was nothing to hold on to. Dad, I was going to die. And then all of a sudden, someone grabbed me. He goes, but nobody was there. And somebody pulled me up. And today, this day, Dad, I can't explain it. And I think that was a supernatural act because I think in that situation, as I, I get teared up when I think about it, because I really think that, that Kobe was somebody that God was doing supernatural things for. Kobe was a young boy. He was 16 years old, who then, a couple months later, after telling Tim that story, took his own life. And I think God was trying to tell Kobe about the reality of, I'm there, I care for you. And for whatever reason, Kobe was thinking wrong. And, I, and, and, and found out that Kobe was just going through some trials, and they found the journal, and he was talking about the things that, that he was having some struggles with, and he kept it in which reminds me, tell all of you, if you, there's things you're going through, talk to people, talk to people, talk to people. My whole thing is, if you, I'll wrap it up now, is that Revelation 22, 8, talks about an angel. And I want you to be aware that angels are real. We're in a real spiritual battle. God is real. And, and the, when Jesus says in verse 7, I'm coming quickly, I'm telling you, whether you believe in a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever, I truly believe everyone's going to stand before God. And the only people who are going to be ready for judgment are the people that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and are born again. They believe that they're a sinner and they can't pay the penalty for their sin. That Jesus is God and man who died and paid the penalty on the cross. He, he rose again and that by faith I believe it. Unless you believe that, unless you're born again, you will face an eternity separated from God for all eternity. He is coming again. Please, let's as a church believe it and as individuals believe it too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the fact that you've warned us not to put our eggs in this world, not to trust in this world, but to trust in the world where moth and rust and thieves don't break in and steal. I pray, God, that as we talk about end times, that this truth, the reality of all the spiritual dynamic around us grabs us and that we will think about, yeah, you've given us guardian angels. You, there are angels, and we do make a difference by how we pray. I pray, Father, that we are people that live in light of the return of Jesus Christ. And if there's any here that haven't given their life to Jesus, they'll do it today. They'll do it today. May they just believe 
right where they're sitting, just say, God, I, I believe that you're God in, that Jesus, that you're God in man, that you died on the cross for me. I've been living my life for myself. I've been living for my own control. I need to turn and repent today. And I pray, God, that they do and they receive you by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.